0: Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures and all that fun stuff. Uh, My name is Nosayeri and today I have yet another guest, Rod Dupin. Did did I get your last name right?
1: No, you're spot on.
0: Oh, perfect. (laughs) Rod Dupin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, How's your week been? How's your day been? How's everything with you?
1: My week's been great. My day's been busy, which is nice always busy right because
0: you have kind of like a business entrepreneurial uh
1: history so it depends on what you want to call busy Mm. if legwork's busy and you're running around that's busy if you're sitting down working that's busy if you're sitting down thinking that's busy so classification of busy is kind of difficult a lot of people busy is physical you know?
0: I mean, they say the mind of an entrepreneur never stops working. Right, you can be taking a shower and your mind's just thinking about a whole bunch of stuff. So I'd
1: have to agree.
0: I guess two four seven, you are busy in one fashion or one form or the other.
1: You do, and then you might wake up at three o'clock in the morning, which pretty much I do every single day. It's not on purpose. Three o'clock to, in the morning. Yeah, I try to get over it, but it's oh, wow. something that's just in me at this point.
0: I used to do that in grad school. I used to wake up at two o'clock, but I'll be back in bed. Uh, no, so I'll go to bed pretty early, but I'll make sure to wake up at two o'clock. But that was more for like school stuff, like reading and stuff. I like to be study when the whole world is dead. Bit pretty much. <laughs> so anyway, hey, well, welcome don't to the you want podcast. Those days, ah, no, not really, not really. <laughs> Maybe you want might want to push this a little bit closer. Okay, how's that? Yeah, fine. Okay, so to start off the podcast, I just have a couple of questions here uh, to get to know you a little bit better, to get a feel of your personality. So I have two options. Just uh, I'll read them to you and just tell me the option that best resonates with you and your lifestyle. Sure. So let's go here. Uh, Dogs or cats? Both. Really? Yep. Bear or wine? Um, Both. Football or rugby? What's football? (laughs)
1: That's soccer?
0: <laughs> no, like American uh, football.
1: <laughs> okay, American football or rugby? Rugby. Yeah,
0: I, I will we'll expandiate on that a little bit. <laughs> East Coast or West Coast here in the US?
1: Uh, dead center. Live in Colorado, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't live on the West Coast. I lived on the East Coast in Boston, mm-hmm. and I would not go back.
0: Fair enough. Cars or bikes?
1: Cars. Mountains or beaches? Right now, you got me. <laughs> skiing or surfing might be 50-50.
0: I mean, you're from Australia,
1: right? And Colorado oh, is all about mountains. I love surfing. I love spearfishing. I love, I love the water. Oh, nice. But you cannot beat the Colorado mountains.
0: Yeah, you're in the wrong state for the water. Right? You I tell are. You that. How, how, do you, how do you get out to the water from here? Where do you go to?
1: Uh, if I'm going, well, typically, mainly it's been going back home. Got it. So it's been back to Australia. Got it. Got yeah. it. Books or podcasts? Podcast. I'm multiple. Absolutely.
0: 100%. Comedy show or music concert? Music. Eat in or take out? That's a great question these days. Eat all in. right. I know, Eat right? In. Okay. Stocks or real estate? Both. Both? Yeah. Oh, okay. Stocks and real estate, beer and wine, dogs and cats.
1: Okay. I was a stockbroker. Got it. Exactly. And I love real estate. Okay. Okay. So I, I owned apartments before. I've owned buildings before. Both incredibly valuable assets.
0: Got it. Got it. I guess you need to diversify at some point.
1: You will. You need to think about it.
0: Okay. So let's talk about your background. uh, You were born in Sydney, Australia. Correct. uh, A couple of years ago. Uh, How was it like growing up for you in Sydney? Uh, I'm sure you you talked about your love for surfing, but what were some of
1: your earliest memories uh, growing up in Sydney? Uh, That's a really good question. It was, um, I mean, that's a tough one. It was just, it was, you just grew up. Uh, I can't quite explain that, but, you know, you're out, you're always outside mm. forever in a day. So you would, you come home from school and then I lived in a cul-de-sac. And so you, there'd be a cricket game outside or there'd be a soccer game going on or there'd be, we had a park which was up the road. There's a lot of open space in Australia. Mm-hmm. And so you go up and you play sports in the park. Um, so there was a lot of outdoor activity, always outdoors, never indoors, pretty much. And this was uh,
0: the, the days before cell phones, I guess. So a lot of people were a lot more outdoors
1: than indoors. Yeah. And I, I still think it's available to you. I think it's depending on what you want to make of it. But um, absolutely. What was your favorite sporting
0: event to participate in as a young boy?
1: Uh, I played a lot of soccer. I played... Was that pretty popular in Australia growing up? It was It was pretty popular. There's a lot of club soccer. There's mm. a lot of club, club rugby. So I played schoolboy rugby and I played club soccer.
0: Got it. Is schoolboy rugby different from regular rugby or...?
1: No, but it's accessible rugby union is what we're talking about. So Got rugby it. union, a lot of it's built up through the schools. And then there's certain clubs that you can participate in. Rugby league. Small yeah, club, right? Yeah. So it's a slight, was slot back then slightly different game. Um, and soccer was through clubs, so schoolboy rugby was pretty prevalent, still is. Got it, got it.
0: I mean, Australia is a very fascinating country. Like, uh, I was there, uh, like a year or two years ago. Uh, I was in Sydney for like three days. I didn't really have a lot of time to like explore as much, but I did. Uh, I think I went to Bondi and a couple of other places, of course, tried to, <laughs> of course, that's the first place, right? <laughs> Try to squeeze in a couple of places. And what fascinated me, because I went there for like an academic conference and there were a couple of events uh, for the conference before every speaker took to the stand. They kind of like acknowledged the indigenous people of that particular land where we were holding the event and, you know, not just indigenous people in general, but like, saying the name of the people who inhabited that land, like acknowledging them, that kind of thing. And it seems like the government has been making a lot of efforts to like reconcile from like past mistakes made to indigenous people in Australia. I think that was really admirable coming from a country myself where there's a lot of uh, tribalism and other things like that. So um, I don't know. That was just fascinating to me. I never knew that something like that was possible.
1: Well, you know, and you can... Okay, you can thank the government on something like that. Mm-hmm. Or you can thank people and you can thank time that they acknowledge where they're from. Mm. And so it's not just Australians, it's Australians all. And it's it includes the Indigenous people, mm. you know, and they've been working incredibly hard at this. And the people recognize all races over there. You know, mm. it's, it's it's been a struggle. Um and there's, but there's there's a beautiful point in time where there's this beautiful eclipse, and that's what's happening in Australia. And so the people, not the government, in my mind, mm. there might have been a push on one side or the other, and that, that's debatable. But the people are like, you know, we're all Australians, and that's a really nice place on where we live right now. Mm. It's very accepting. It's at a very accepting time.
0: Yeah, sure. Definitely. I mean, I didn't really, you know, haven't visited there, I didn't really, you know, have any bad experiences. I've traveled to a couple of places, but Sydney was one place where I didn't really feel any type of way going there. But, you know, that's just my experience. I can you know, really speak to everyone. So, uh, let's So you're a teenager, uh, grew up, played a lot of sports. At what point did you decide that, hey, you know, I'd like to venture out of Sydney, I like to venture out of Australia. Did that happen like later in your life? Did you always have dreams and ambition about going out there and doing things? or What was the typical uh, dream for Rod as a teenager growing up?
1: Yeah, it wasn't so much of a dream, but I think what you have in Australia and with Australians is you're so far away. And so what there is is a want or a need or a passion to get out. Mm -hmm. And that's leave home. We call it, you know, you go and walk about, which is an aboriginal term. And what it is, is you go out and you find yourself and then you come back home. Well, you don't come back home, Mm -hmm. right? And so that was, I think it's a part of most Australians and they do take an adventure. You know, be it, mine was going to be a year, mine's ended up being 20 something, right? Pretty much a lifetime. Got it. um, others, it's a year. Others, it's, others it's five years. Others it's, others, it's ten years. So, oh. others, it's six months.
0: When you say venture out, do you mean like venture out of your you, town, you go, your city,
1: you're done. or the country? You go. You go. You take off, and I'll Wherever see you when you. I see you.
0: Is that and, typically done after high school, like after you graduate high school, or like after college? or when, when is that It is. Done? So,
1: you have between university, college, um, and high school there's an opportunity Mm. and you can do it after college. You can do it after high school you can do it in between. And so you have a choice on when you want to go, but you go when you experience other cultures. And it's, I don't know if it's inbred, but it seems to be inbred in us to go and want to experience other cultures because we are so far away. And, you know, Mm. these days the world's even closer than it was when I left yeah that's such a beautiful thing
0: yeah i mean australia is, is really far away i think it was a, like a 22 hour flight when i flew from uh dc or something and i
2: it's
0: I, a long time yeah a long <laughs> but time. i was flying against time because i remember like going like i landed like the next day or the next next day or something but coming back was the same day because i was flying against against time um when, when did you leave australia well how old were you i was 21
1: okay and where did you go to I left and I went straight to Europe. So mm. I went through Asia. Biggest mistake ever was not stopping there. Mm. Um, my goal was to get to Europe.
0: Wait, what was your Europe. what was your first portal? So you flew out of Australia. Where
1: did you yep. land in first? In Bangkok.
0: Okay, in Bangkok. So in
1: Bangkok. All right. Stayed there. I think we were there for eight hours, and then we flew to London.
0: Got it. Yeah. Okay, so it was like a layover kind of thing.
1: It was layover. Yeah.
0: Okay. so you, you touched on London. You, you said we, you were in a group?
1: I was with No, I was with a mate of mine. So oh, yeah. there was another guy coming over later. So I took off with a friend of mine.
0: Got it. Yeah. Now, that's one fascinating thing about Australians also. Like the lingo, like when I was there, like a lot of things are pronounced like differently. It was like me learning a whole other lingo. When I came from Nigeria to the U.S., some things are pronounced differently. Instead of trousers, they say pants. Instead of sure. sidewalk, sidewalk, they say pavement, that kind of thing. Yeah, footpath. Yeah, I was going to the fast food restaurants, and they called McDonald's Mackey's. Mackey's. Yeah, Mackey's. Get was, it right, get it right. Okay, Mackey's, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a new one for me, yeah, and uh, everyone uses me as a term of endearment, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, now what What are some of the popular ones? I mean, it's been 20-something years, and you still have some of that intonation in your lingo. What, what are some of the popular ones that sometimes you can't just get rid of, And some Americans Oh, say. I can't say those on
1: the on, on the podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> got they're it. They're all terms of endearment. Okay.
0: Okay. Right?
1: Got it. They can be used two ways. A lot of the words can be used two ways, but they're all terms of endearment.
0: Okay. Right? Okay. I understand
1: you. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but no, you've got G'day. Yeah. I... Right. You know, you've got mate. You know, how, you know, simple stuff like how I, it's, there's, you know, recognition. Look someone in the eye, figure them out. Mm, got yo, it. And move forward. And like I said, you know, there's other words that are out there, but. And they're lovely words. Hey,
0: I mean, some of our speakers, some of our listeners might be <laughs> interested oh, in learning. They know what they are. So. <laughs> okay, I don't think we have a lot of listeners from Australia anyway, but that's by the way. So you got into London with your friend, with your mate, yes. and what did you guys do? Did you guys have a plan, or you guys just like, okay, let's see what happens?
1: We rocked up with backpacks. Mm, nice. Yeah, let's see what happens. Nice. We, Looking back on it, we could have been a bit smarter. <laughs> But well, looking back on it, why, these why stories, would you right? want to be a bit smarter? Right. Right? Because right, right. we weren't there to be smart. We were there to experience. Got it. And right. so where where we landed, you know, multiple countries after this. But it was, okay, let's see what this is about. Let's see what this place is. Let's immerse ourselves in this culture. And so it's, we're not, you know, we're Australian.
0: But yeah.
1: Let's, let's go see what this is about.
0: What places in Europe did you end up visiting? What countries?
1: Uh, multiple countries um, Norway, Denmark. Mm. Uh, didn't go to Sweden, miss Sweden. Uh, but then went down to Germany, went down to Greece, went across to Italy. Wow. Um, boy, I'd have to look at a map. I mean, there was some France, uh, Germany, into Holland, you know, m- multiple countries.
0: Oh, interesting. I've always wanted to go to Europe. I haven't been there. I wanted. I want to go to Prague. I'd love to go to Prague. I miss Prague. Yeah, a couple of other places, but I haven't had the chance to go to Europe yet, but I guess we'll see. Uh, fingers crossed. It'd be cool to record a podcast out there.
1: It'd be fantastic.
0: So how long were you guys on the path? How, how long did you guys uh,
1: backpack through Europe? Um, I mean, roughly a year. I mean, I, sometimes I still consider myself still backpacking. A year. Wow. That was, that was a year. Then some of my friends left. I then came to the U.S. Mm. And I worked in London, then came over here to the U.S. and then traveled around. My family met me over here and we traveled around the U.S.
0: Got it. T- tell me about a couple of stories from, from. I mean, you went to all these countries. There has to be some memorable things that happen. Uh, oh, There's memorable
1: things that always happen. Uh, I mean, sure. But so. How much of it can you remember? Nah, come on. You have to remember.
0: If it's not, if it's that memorable, then you have to remember a couple of them. Uh, sh- share some with us.
1: Uh, what sort of memories you're looking for. Whatever comes to mind.
0: I mean, this is a podcast. This is a radio show. We're not regulated, so whatever you want. No, I
1: know I know that. I, it's, I don't know. I mean, you, you always have your parties and stuff like that. I mean, it's um, – I think – Give me a couple of minutes. I'm going to work mm-hmm. this over. Throw a couple of questions out there. And okay, this one.
0: okay, okay, okay. That's cool. Um, where Was there any time you guys were short of money and had to do a couple of things to quickly raise money or get food or stuff,
1: something interesting you're always to sure kind you, of survive? You're always short of money. Mm-hmm. Um, we had enough money to get from certain places. I think, you know, when I – We had a base, which is London. We could work there. Mm. And so it wasn't a matter of being short of money. It was a matter of getting back so you could get work. Got it. And so you could only travel with what you made after Mm. that point, right? So we'd saved up. Back in Australia, I had three jobs, right? So I'd work one, go to the next, go to the next. And I just worked constantly for about six months to save up enough money to be even able to travel. Yeah. And so, you know, back then we were carrying traveler's checks. So everything was, you know, strapped to your body so it wouldn't yeah. be stolen. But um, You just, you had a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're kind of done. So there was a plan to go back and work. And so we did and we all got work and we all. What type of jobs do you guys get? Uh, back then I was working. I actually worked at the opera house. And so we were delivering food and also washing dishes. Okay. Um, and then I worked. Is this for, a Sydney
0: Opera House? No, this is
1: in, in London. London, London okay. Opera House. Got it. Piccadilly Cirque. And then I also had another job, where I worked as a, a kitchen hand, which was washing dishes again. But the chef that I worked with, because it was in a, you know, just him and me and a couple of other people,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he taught me how to cook. Oh wow! Which ultimately I got in the restaurant. That's but, where you learn how to cook. Yeah, well, I learned how to how things go together. Got it. You know, one by one by one. And then, so that sort of kept me alive and that kept me drinking. Got it. Right? Party. Oh, yeah. And then I had another job in London where I would, this is this is going back, but we had cassettes back in those days. And so to pay for all of my train tickets and fares around town, I used to stuff cassettes into cassette boxes. Stuff cassettes into cassette boxes? And I think I made about two pounds an hour, which is about three bucks. An hour. So I'd sit there and there's a group of us from all around the world, which was awesome. And we're all putting cassettes and then every hour they change us. And then we do, we put the sleeves into the cassette boxes Mm. versus the cassettes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that paid for my train tickets. Oh, interesting. That was my transportation around London
0: interesting interesting I mean, you got to do what you got to do i guess yeah and i was in places Mantras. where i
1: could i could eat fairly cheaply so yeah. i put myself into places where i could get food right not have to pay a lot so i could save a lot
0: yeah how have you been to london recently has it changed if you have
1: uh, it's been a, it's been a. I think probably last time i was there was about 10 years got it yeah it's always changing it's a it's a great city yeah. I love London. More expensive? I'm sure the foods it's are more expensive. expensive.
0: <laughs> okay, so you came to the U.S. Your family came here and joined you. Uh, Is When you came to the U.S.,
1: that's when you landed in Boston, I guess? Uh, well, we traveled to America first mm-hmm. and then ended up in Boston. Okay. Yep. So you came to the
0: U.S. A couple of your folks went back home to Australia. Uh, you did a, little, a couple of months more sightseeing and everything. When was that point I mean you were what, twenty two or twenty three at this time? Yeah. Uh when was that point you said, Okay, you know what, I've have you know seen the world, now I think I need to like settle down and what did you go into?
1: Are you never settling down? I went over there. I didn't meet I went over there, I met my wife, mm-hmm. ex wife. Um, and lived over there in Boston for about four years. Then came to Denver. So it wasn't I wouldn't call it settling down. It was new opportunities. New opportunities. Yeah. Settling is very different in my mind. That makes so sense. So there's always opportunities. And I think when you come over here as an immigrant, you're not really ever sure. Mm. And settling is definitely not your the forefront of your mind. Got it. Got it. Right. Okay. That makes
0: sense. That makes sense. When I say settling down, I'm tr- I was trying to transition into how you got into like. Finance, or what was your first gig kind of like in the US? Uh, you had learned to cook back in London and you later went on to like open restaurants, but before then, there was a period in your life where you like got into like finance. And, uh, yeah,
1: no, the first okay, the first real job was in Boston, okay. And you know, I we had some friends there, and they own some of their friends own some car dealerships, car dealerships, okay. So, the first job. The real job that I had here, legal job that yeah. I had here, was selling cars.
0: Okay. That's and an
1: easy... It was, <laughs> it was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. I'm like, look, this was the American auto. Yep. The auto industry came from America. What kind of cars were you selling? Hondas. Okay. Hondas, Hondas, Hondas in Boston? In Boston. <laughs> the most educated car at the time. <laughs> it, was, it was brutal, but it was the best... The best sales education I'd ever had in my entire life. Mm. And it was the best grounding experience in sales.
0: Were you in any way deliberate about all these skills you were acquiring or you were just kind of like putting yourself out there and just acquiring what you could acquire? Because you learn how to cook in London, you learn sales in Boston, all those things will later come together uh, to um, contribute to what you did later in yeah, life. I
1: was deliberate about learning, mm. right? I wasn't deliberate about necessarily where i place myself because i just needed jobs in london i just needed jobs and this is work and you know like um like america yeah when you come here the restaurant industry as a ground opening place to be able to get employment mm. it's one of the best ever yeah you know so there's this you can get a job period in the food industry yeah in america in london In Sydney, it doesn't matter where you go, you can get a job. And so it's deliberate about learning for me, how can I be better? Mm -hmm. How can I not just wash dishes? How can I learn to cook that omelet, Mm -hmm. right? And you create relationships, and they show you. Chefs will show you. Cooks will show you. If you have a want and a fire and a need and a desire, Mm -hmm. people will embrace you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What was the difference between like the management style in London and in Boston uh, selling cars uh, in, the, in the restaurant where you were working or the work environment in general?
1: they' all they're all very different you know I was I was lucky. I've, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by you know really good managers. Um, the car industry is very different than the food industry, but what ended up happening was my education in the car industry which I hated at the time was everything is a nickel and a dime a nickel and a penny. And unless you know how to create a nickel and a penny, mm. you're not going to make money in that business.
0: What do you say? What do you mean? Everything was a nickel and a penny, like add ons,
1: like no, it what? just comes down to a nickel and a penny. You can't, mm. they can't sell something if they're not making a dollar or they need to move it or they have to shuffle it along and they have to do this. And so Which transposed in later years, which is the food industry, which is exactly the same place that I never wanted to put myself again (laughs) into a nickel and dime industry. But if you look at everything, it really comes down to okay, how can I survive and how do you make a dollar? Got it. Got it. Okay, so you're so. It wasn't management styles. Sorry, I digress. But they were. I, I was. I was very fortunate. Very fortunate to be around. I think um, leaders in wanting to educate young people at the time. Got
0: it. Got it. Okay, so you sold cars for a couple of years in Boston. Mm -hmm. Where where did you move to next? What was your next opportunity? Colorado. Oh, so that was from Boston Street. So you've only lived in two cities here in the U.S. Okay. What year was this when you moved to Colorado?
2: 95.
0: 95. Okay. Yeah, we'll keep it quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So uh, what fascinated you about Colorado? Was it the opportunity that made you move or you just kind of like looked on the map and said, oh, that'll be a cool place?
1: No, I had a friend of mine that lived out here. Mm -hmm. Um, He'd been out here for a year. And so on the first travel, when I came over here, I met my family. We Mm -hmm. traveled out through Colorado. Okay. And so, and then back out into, into California. And I had a friend that lived here and he was here for about a year, year and a bit. And... He had a friend, he met this guy, and I'm going to not quite explain this correctly, but his his mate was, he always said, look, you know, there's something special about Colorado. So you can go travel the world, you can go to Boston, you can go to France, you can go to Germany, wherever you want to go, Egypt, but you can always come back to Colorado because there's always a little bit of gold left to be had. mm and so his friend traveled, came back and started his own business and found that little bit of gold and was very successful. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is, and I think it's still available to you in certain respects in Colorado, is it's, it was when I came out here small enough where I could meet people of significance relatively easy. It's changed a little bit. But um, Hickenlooper was running the wine coop. This was the former governor, Hickenlooper. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was running there. So he'd be there shaking hands, having a beer with you. Wow. Right? And so you had that access to some of these people, and it wasn't so so difficult. And I think, you know, you meet the mayor and you meet the governor today. Mm -hmm. It's still not that difficult. Bigger cities, a lot more difficult. So Colorado still has something incredibly special about it. And yeah. now with where it's situated, you have access to the United States yeah. within two hours. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, my first few weeks here in Colorado, you know, I got to meet the mayor. I doubt if they remember our interaction, but at least, like, I didn't get that in D.C. <laughs> no. Where I came from. But yeah. uh, it's interesting you mentioned Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper, I heard, was one of the architects of the beer culture here in Colorado, yeah, like we have breweries sure. everywhere, we have wineries everywhere, That like he was like a really, and I think he tried to run for president one time no, but this year,
1: this this no, time around
0: no, but he, he probably didn't <clears throat> make it in the primaries or something but that must have been an
1: interesting time yeah, no it was you know, it was they're all interesting times, they're yeah. interesting times now, you know, I think there's phenomenal times available to, to people, you know, to get after it um, I think it's what you make of it with the time that's available to you. Yep, Yeah. Yep. Times sense. don't make you, you
0: make time. You make time. Yeah. You create history, don't let history define. That makes sense. That makes sense. So you came here, you came here, you were deliberate, say, okay, you know what, I want a piece of this American dream, I want my gold. What did you then do? I mean, you, you put up with your friends, I guess, for a couple of weeks, a couple of
1: months, that kind of thing. Uh, What then did you do? Oh, we just, I don't know, you just get after it. That's, you know, figured out how to buy apartments. You know, I worked as a stockbroker for Charles Schwab as an options broker for them. Um then transition. So I had work really up until about two thousand. So a
0: lot of people listening to this might not remember what stockbrokers did back then. Because a lot of things a lot of trades now happen just through apps and you deal directly. Sure. But, but back then, I'll imagine there was a stockbroker who you had to get in touch with and say buy X number of shares Correct. for X amount, then he'll execute the trade for you. And Correct. this was mostly done over the telephone, right?
1: It was. A lot of it was done over the telephone. And then they you know, when I was around Back then, they were integrating um, trading platforms, which now everything's done on these trading platforms. Yeah, they're, they're incredible, you know. But also back then, you had you had floor floor managers, you had people on the stock exchange floor that were actually conducting trades. Mm-hmm. So they had to go down to a physical person to start punching these trades through. So we had access to these people, and I became you know went from stockbroker to an options broker,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is a different scenario again altogether and then from there i went on the technical side of things where i used to write specifications functional specifications for trading platforms mm. um, and that would be implemented such as the y2k what specification is that Code? Debacle. what was that no i mean i would do a specification for a code writer mm. so they need to know what the idea is so you're kind of painting the picture for them got it and they fill in the dots like a flow chart they do the numbers so i create the numbers and they fill them in brilliantly got it right so they need to understand how to create this thing so it could be a could be just a simple button that executes a trade very quickly Mm. you write a specification which is a description of what this button should do Mm. what it should look like size wise you know how it should End up on the platform, yeah, on the trading floor, etc. So
0: I guess nowadays they'll call that product product managers or something.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It was yeah. a product
0: manager. It's amazing that back then you you probably those were two different roles. So you have someone who understood finance and maybe someone who understood computers, and you need to translate, maybe make a specification. Yep. But now most of those roles are integrated. You two yeah. for the price, one for the price, to two kind of
1: kind thing. of. But I think what you have is you have. People, I have some friends that are specific in project management Mm. and the communication between um, someone that does code Mm -hmm. and the other half is, is somewhat difficult these days. So you might be able to sit down and have the translation, but I, and I'm I'm stepping out on a limb here because I'm, not totally familiar with it, but you still have this divide. And so you still need – the project manager can't do everything. Everything. I guess it depends on the industry,
0: I guess. So some industries, uh, you know, works like that. Some industries is more uh, – so it just depends. Well, the project uh, manager takes
1: all the heat. Well, so they all go are the yeah. project manager. Yeah. And then they have – you know, the project manager makes everyone get along. So it's yeah. still a pretty vital piece.
0: Did you work downtown, 17th Street?
1: Uh oh, I, I was on a waffle cart. I mean for Charles Schwab. No. No, we were just <laughs> over here at Cherry Creek. Oh, okay. Yeah, now they're, now they're all down at um, Tech Center.
0: Oh, Cherry Creek. Uh, Yeah, we have a couple of – is that where the – yeah, we still have a couple of companies there, Uh, Triology and some maybe, financial companies. Maybe. Like I mean, a, we were right
1: over there near the rugby stadium.
0: Yeah,
1: and, yeah. No, so no. there was a bill. I think it was 4,500 from America. Got so it. Cherry
0: Creek Drive. Got it, got it. And I'm sure your sales experience from Boston, you know, helped out in your stock working experience. You talk
1: to people, it's definitely not a, it's not a minus. It's a
0: But it's interesting, like, going into finance, because I would picture you being this 21-year-old kid, traveling across, like, Europe, traveling across America, and finance would be the last place you end up. But,
1: but... I don't know. I was dealing, you know, I was, look, I was there for the 85 crash. Mm. And I had, I was investing in a stock market in Australia. Mm. I love stocks. You know, I was like, okay, this is a great way. Oh, wow. So
0: even through your travels and everything, you still had that investor mindset. You had stocks back home, and you were looking at buying apartments, all that stuff.
1: Uh, Not so much apartments, but Mm -hmm. I was invested in, I put my money, I had a job um, working back in Australia, in Sydney, and I put my money into stocks. And Mm -hmm. I love trading stocks. I'm like, okay, I can invest in companies, research the management. Yeah. If they do well, I don't have to work. Or the first to, stock to you make bought? a dollar. What was the first stock you bought? That's that's a really good one. That's a long time ago. It's a mining stock. Do you still have it? No. No, no, no. Then it all crashed and everything went to hell and that was my that was my trip to America. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, it went all down right. the drain. I had to keep working.
0: What's your process in buying stocks right now? Like what do you do?
1: At the moment I don't. Oh okay. Yep. At the moment I don't. I'm really out of touch with the technology side of stuff. So um, there's money in there. I think I'm not going to absolutely not qualify this to do this, but, you know, I think AI is where everything seems to be heading. Yeah. So anything to do with anything, it's, it's the back end of it. But, you know, look, Tesla's a car company, but it's a technology, technology company. Technology company. <laughs> yeah. figure that.
0: Nothing is a car company. I mean, WeWork is a real estate company, but it is a technology company. Yeah. For Christ's sake, yeah, so I understand that. You know. Casper and all these companies. Yeah. But yeah, I pretty much agree. I have some money parked in a robotics and artificial intelligence mutual fund. Sure. By investing AI and robotic technologies all over the world, I don't know. That's long term play. Let's see how that one turns out in twenty years. But yeah, anyway, you know, we'll it's going to be
1: interesting. This AI stuff is pretty impressive. Yeah. And what it can do is you know, it can escalate what's gonna happen in the future. Yeah. A hundred years from now into ten.
0: Yeah, I mean, the cyborgs may come for us. You never know.
1: I I'll mean, be ready. <laughs>
0: sometimes I wish I lived a little bit in the 80s. I mean, I'm 30, so I kind of like lived in the 90s a little bit and the 2000s and experienced technology. But sometimes I re- wish I really lived like in the 80s, 80s, like oh, wait, that was Michael good Jackson 80s, that was 84, or 85, that kind of thing. But yeah. I guess each generation has their own opportunities, I guess. So it's all good. Oh, you do. Yeah. Talk to me how you got into the food business, That how that happened. Uh, I know you, you kind of knew how to cook. Uh, were you looking at different industries and say, "Oh, this would be easy, low-hanging fruit for me to go for," or there was an opportunity that just presented itself? How'd that happen exactly?
1: Oh, uh, I mean I was working. I had a website and I was moving beef, selling beef around the country. Beef, website, okay. where did you get beef from? From here? Uh, Iowa.
0: Iowa. Yep. Okay.
1: So I had a. There was a. Um, a locker, a meat locker out there and they would package it. They, you know, create the cryovac packages. They put in a box for me and they'd ship it. I'd take the orders online. Mm. Um, Wait, you
0: were selling beef online? Online. What year was this? 2000, 2002. Wow, this was a uh, of his time I guess. Yeah. 2002.
1: Yep. So it was, you know, it was sort of on the outside of the cusp. Mm. Um, but things were starting to be able to become more.
0: Were you selling to restaurants, grocery stores? No, individuals. Ind- individuals yeah. online. Two thousand two.
1: Wow, that's impressive. Yep. Yeah. And then they had um, my neighbor had an idea for waffles, and he was uh, he was over at nine eleven happened. He was stuck in Belgium, mm. and he came back to the states with this idea after sitting every street corner in Belgium has a waffle cart. Mm. you go down there you get a hot waffle and so he's like i got this idea i think it's worth putting some time and effort into it not a lot of money are you willing to check it out with me because you know he didn't have many other friends that are willing to do something like that yeah it's very difficult to put yourself in a different spot versus having a job and you know the day-to-day sort of stuff to actually remove yourself and go, yeah, let's let's chase this for a little bit and see how it is. Yeah. And so we had the same sort of mindset, and we did spend the next year and a half looking at this waffle recipe. I we didn't I didn't grow up with waffles, mm. you know. So It wasn't a thing life, in oh, Australia. Cool. Let's see. let's have a look at this. <laughs> Got it. And we ended up putting this this business together, you know, and it it definitely wasn't easy. It wasn't. I was never thinking about going to the restaurant industry that's mm. for sure um but I don't think you really you have an inkling for something and you chase a dream mm. and that's kind of what we do and it's kind of like how it works and I can't explain how someone you just don't go, "Oh, okay, I'm going to go into the NFL and create the NFL." Mm. I mean that would have been madness back then.
2: Mhm
1: right so it's it's the same sort of stuff, and so we worked on it pretty diligently, and we went from from this into people that liked what we were doing, and we tested it, and then we went into uh, farmers' markets and whatnot. And, you know, we realized we had a good product. Who was making the product? We were. Okay. I mean, it's all self-made, so it was all testing, testing, testing. Got it.
0: So you and your partner were <clears throat> making the product. Did you guys have an actual cart? To start with, or no, you we just had like got, baskets. Yeah,
1: two guys and one waffle lion. Mm. So we had a, an original waffle lion out of Belgium. Got it. Very, very heavy. So they weigh about 100 pounds. Wow. Yeah. So it was a real deal.
0: How, is that how you guys <clears> named <throat> the company? Like two guys making waffles, Waffle Brothers?
1: Well, John was my business partner. And he originally had the idea. So it was him and his brother in law originally brought the brought some sugar back, brought Waffle line back, and we did have a, a small cart from Belgium, you know, wasn't robust enough what we were doing, so I guess you could say we had a cart. Um, and so it was came from there, developed from there, and it was you know, waffle, brother, brothers type of stuff. And we, we ran with it and put a logo together after a year and a half and said, Okay, we can sit here and do nothing with it, mm. or we can. Do something. A
0: year and a half, going to farmers markets, you know, trying. Well, that was
1: just creating the recipe. Got it. Then we went to the farmers markets. Got it. Got
0: it. How did you? You? It it intrigues me the name. How you name your businesses? Like you have a business called Rude Foods.
1: Yeah, Uh, Rude Foods Consulting. Crazy Butcher
0: Waffle Brothers. Crazy
1: Butcher, yeah, and I just started another company called Click Merch. Click merge. Yep. So well, that's that's pretty catchy, actually. Yeah. So you can. That's another story. It's not. That-
0: <laughs> got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Okay. So so you a year and a half. What happened uh, at that point? You guys wanted to move from a cart to a restaurant. That like you wanted a location or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, we went out and we tested it. So we then went into some festivals. First was the Gaylord Street Festival mm-hmm. over in Wash Park. Um, How much were you selling the waffle at this time? Cheap. Couple of bucks. Mm. Mm. We had no clue how to price it, and we're sitting. the The worst thing was, we're, we're creating a waffle. It's a pastry, and they put us right next to the funnel cake, mm. right? Mm. And the funnel cake kicked our ass, right? Everyone knows what a funnel cake is. No one's ever seen waffles made on site ever mm-hmm. at a at a at a festival. Yeah. And so all all that was in anyone's mind was an ego waffle right? That's what we had to compete with. And that's what we had to break through. And that's where we had to change people's minds on what waffles were. And we knew we were bringing a product that had really never been done, seen, developed in the US this way before. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, we're breaking new ground.
0: So what was your first location? where did you guys end up like setting up? And how did you guys set up? How'd you get the money to set up?
1: Uh, we put the money in. it. We created, we bought a card, made a car. It was about six grand. And then we, you know, we're, we spent a summer, farmer's markets and that sort of stuff. I'm like, okay, we need a permanent location so people can get us year round. Mm-hmm. Farmer's markets close after I think September, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, we need a permanent location, so to speak. So we got a spot on the 16th street mall. Okay. And so we truck our cart down there in the winter.
0: Good times to sell waffles. It was was terrible. (laughs)
1: It was cold. I'm not going to say what, but it was cold.
0: Wow. (laughs) I got you.
1: Really cold. There was days that we we couldn't actually, we couldn't even make waffles down there because we had a lot of sugar in the waffles. We had a special nib sugar out of Belgium. And at certain temperatures, it would start to freeze when we lifted up the iron. Mm. And so... When we lay, we pick it up, and these strings of sugar
2: frosted would sugar. lay down. It wasn't
1: frosted; it was it was a string, up and it lay down on the waffle, and actually looked like there was hair all over the waffle. Oh my goodness! But it was sugar, mm. right? But you can't. The perception is you can, you can't explain that to anyone. Got it. So there were certain temperatures where we just wake up, look out, and go, "No, can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. We can do this. We can go down." You know, and sometimes we just got it completely wrong. And I think we still have some photos in the archive where it was, I think it was minus ten degrees, and we're standing out there. Minus we, ten. Yeah, and we set up, and we it was just like only oh, in Colorado, I guess. We, I, guess. <laughs> I guess we got this wrong. Wow. So time to go home. So we packed the cart up. We had a little commissary kitchen out in Wadsworth, in Lakewood.
0: Lakewood. That's Lakewood. away. That's away from Denver. That's yeah, like 30, so drive, Thirty minutes away.
1: Yeah, so I drive from. Wash Park area, out to Lakewood, back down to Denver, back out to Lakewood.
0: Did you guys have any kind of investment during this time? Did anyone like see you guys and like put money into this or it was more like? No, it was pretty
1: much us. Just you guys? Just us. And how long did you guys do this? Two, two and a half years. Wow. Dedicated. That's a long time. Brutal. (laughs) Brutal. You know, but then in between we opened up a little concession stand. Mm. Down the Sixteenth Street Mall, so that became available, and then we worked with Biker Jim, who's a hot dog guy. Yeah, probably the most famous in Denver, and we got a commissary kitchen, so we opened up a commissary kitchen. Commissary kitchen,
0: kitchen being a kitchen where you make stuff yep. and you know transport it elsewhere to yep. sell.
1: And it was close to downtown, so he could put his carts in there. Uh. Because we came in in the morning, you know, we didn't have any conflict with him cooking his stuff or creating his stuff. So we'd be in there early. He'd be in there just after us. And we were going out. Then we were vending, street vending.
0: Seven days a week.
1: Uh, No, not seven days a week. The weekends are pretty much, there's, there's not much point going down. We do, we do a lot of the events. We were down there for the Democratic National Convention, that sort of stuff. Got it. Um, So then we do a weekend, you know, if New Year's Eve was on a weekend type of stuff, we do the weekends, but the, the weekends for us, you know, weren't that fruitful, so what, we were there during the week.
0: What, what were some of the things you learned in, you know, starting up a food business? Like when it comes to like finance or HR or operations, what were what were some salient lessons that you can probably pass on to someone who's listening who's either starting in out in the food industry or maybe a similar industry or something that's even applicable to just business in general? Maybe something you underestimated, uh, something that when you did really changed things. You know, maybe it's who you hired, who you worked with, how you did your books, uh, what you did to market, what you didn't do when marketing, that kind of thing.
1: Is that just one question?
0: <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Choose. <laughs> you can answer that from any angle.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I you know I'm I'm doing. I do some mentoring now with some, some folks starting in the industry and or a part of the industry. And I sort of look back on my experience and I think there's something beautiful about an entrepreneur is there is no stop. Mm. There's something horrible about about an entrepreneur is there is no stop. Mm. Right? So, and everyone's story is when you know you should give up, you don't give up. Mm. Right. <clears throat> but it becomes g- incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. And I'd love to say that it's all worth it. Sometimes I really don't think it is worth it, right? Um, I managed to exit what I did,
2: mm.
1: right?
0: Which is rare. That's very rare. That's mm. very rare.
1: Um, normally, stuff closes down or it shuts down, or you know, it just goes fades away. Mm-hmm. So I think when I, you know, when I talk to, to folks these days, it's more understand your figures and understand a dollar Mm. and you know, your dream can survive, but you have to get what entrepreneurs hate typically is doing the financial side of entrepreneurship. Mm. And you know, I don't, You have to be able to sit down. You have to be able to make projections. We had a business plan. Uh, I think it would have been proactive. We, you know, once we had it done, it was like, yeah, you, know, you move on from it. If you don't have a business plan, if you don't have financials, if you don't have some sort of tract to travel in, mm. what are you doing? Does that make sense? Mm. Maybe. You know, I'm setting up this other business. I'm laying out everything that I've learned this time around. And it's from business plan to financials to what are we doing here? What's the platform? Who's the audience type of stuff? You have to look forward to measure. That's a measure. Now it's measured. And there's going to be a time where I can actually see that we're successful or it's just cut, bait and run versus, you know, the push. But the beautiful thing about sometimes the push and not having this is you don't stop, Mm. right? So, there's a you know six of one and a half a dozen at the other, but understanding your financials, understanding what you have from the get-go, and being able to control that when you get to, when you start to scale
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you start to be successful, and so you're not just wasting money. Wasting money. Yeah, you can actually put it into areas of where you can actually help you, help yourself succeed further. I mean
0: that's actually good advice. And I can kind of like from your story kind of like pull out some, you know, salient points also. Uh, you had been in the finance industry, so you were you weren't totally foreign to numbers. I don't know if your neighbor was also in the finance industry, but you guys seemed to compliment each other. You know, you knew a bunch of people around town. I don't know what his background was, but Partnering up and having someone there who can complement your shortcomings, I guess, yep. is is one way. Being able to measure, no matter how little that is, so everyone thinks you need some kind of you know sophisticated analytics kind of model. I know someone who started a business and she put a different email on Twitter and put a different email on Facebook. So based on the number of emails she's getting from both emails, she'll know that oh, I'm getting more people from Facebook than. Twitter, so mm-hmm. let me focus most of my products and advertisements and whatever on Facebook. That's Smart. a very simple way to do it. But if you don't measure, if you don't track like, what you're doing, regardless of what it is, be it a marketing or production or cost or whatever, like, it'll be difficult to be in business and you're just doing like a hobby or something.
1: Yes, it's incredibly difficult. Yeah? I 100% agree with what you just said. And there's these small things that you can do that make big, big differences and save you years of issues for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there. Were, let me just use this opportunity to plug this in. Like you said, you, you talked about mentoring a bunch of people now who are in the food business. I was part of I'm not in the food business, but I, you know, witnessed a session that you did a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned something not for you, but for some other popular chef who went into business, the food business, but he had investors. Uh, but when his investors invested, they structured the contract in a way where they had 80 percent, he had 20. But when he met certain uh, I guess milestones, and when a certain number of time had passed and he had reached X number in revenue or whatever milestone, then it flipped. It became him owning 80% and them owning 20%, or right. he bought, you know, back 60%, that kind of thing. And I just thought that was like, that was the first time I had actually heard that because in my mind, I had been, I'm fascinated by venture capital. Like, okay, you know, what's the new way? How can companies, you know, on the same level as founders and, you know, showing them that you support them. That kind of thing. Having those contingent clauses. that Okay, if this happens, then that should happen. If this happens, then that should happen. You know, uh, is, is a way I see myself like structuring deals in the future. And I think it's a very important lesson for entrepreneurs. Don't just take everything as they come. Have those contingents. Like even with the person editing my podcast right now, I have someone who I send my podcast to who edits this. I started that like two months ago after I spent like a year editing on my own. I'm like, okay, you know what? If you edit and on an average you return it in 24 hours, this is how much it'll be if if you're returning like 48 hours if you do this much hours if you edit like six hours a month four hours like we have all these things in place even though it's a very basic relationship like editing a podcast but I'm starting to like practice with that I just thought that was very valuable did you learn things like that Doing your yeah. own research? Did you learn things like that? Having a mentor who told you about things like that? who well, had done that before? or Did you learn things like that? Just interacting with people and hearing their story—that kind I, of thing.
1: I learned that three weeks ago. <laughs> okay, pretty right? neat. Got it. So I brought that to to my deal, mm. yeah, and that was um, that was Tom Wilskim, and you know he was one of the original guys from Einstein's Bagels, and so but you put yourself. In a state, you know, I was, I was not college educated, but I read and I put myself in places of learning because I knew I had an uphill battle. Mm. And so it didn't matter what it is. I, you know, I, I, I listen. I've discovered I'm not a good reader. I hate reading, right? I can't sit down and curl up with a book, but I can listen for 80 hours a month and absorb from my ears. And it was one of the, you know, I only just found this out, you know, in the last couple of years. And so I can absorb so much information and read, listen to all of these books now. And I didn't even think about it. And technology is wonderful, right? Because I, I, I would read and I'd force myself to read these books. But I didn't enjoy it. Now I love and I can go back over and go back over and go back over these pieces, right? Some people are made to read. Other people are meant to listen. Auditory versus visual type of stuff. And so, you know, even with his, I put myself in a, in a place to meet one of the greats. Mm. And you, get, you got one little diamond out of that whole seminar, which I got to share, mm. you know, like four days later. Yeah. You know, with you guys. And I thought that was extraordinary, the way he structured his deal. Because I didn't even think of that. Yeah. But he was that confident in himself. He said, I never wanted to give anyone 80%. I wanted to own the whole show, which was 80%, and they had their 20%. Mm-hmm. But he was that confident and that sure that he could make that deal. And obviously, they had to bet on him, and he had some experience at the time to make that deal Yeah, with confidence that he would turn these boats yeah. over and own own the helm. Yeah, Brilliant. Just incredible. And so there's these little nuances that you put yourself in places to learn. And you have to. And you just keep putting yourself in places to learn.
0: Never stop learning. Never stop learning. Yeah, different ways to learn. People learn differently. Never stop learning. Yeah. Uh, partner up when you can. Uh, do all that good stuff. Talk to me about your exit. Like, how did that happen? How many locations did you have when you exited? Uh, What was that like? Did you guys, were you guys deliberate about saying, okay, you know what, we've been at this for X number of years, we want to exit, or an opportunity presented itself? How did that happen?
1: Yeah, no, I think it was, um, yeah, it was very, it it was okay with everyone. I think it was, uh, you know, I'm, to me, in the mindset of everything's for sale. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna walk around and think that I'm gonna be the next, you know, Bill Gates. And if I can I've done this and I've I've pulled some money out of this business and now I get a chance to exit and maybe step back from a little bit and maybe do something else. It's gonna give me another opportunity. Then, mm. you know, I think you need to you need to weigh that. You need to look at that and say, is there another opportunity? Am I am I stuck with this? Or could I do something else? You know? And it was at that time, I'm like, you know, it's nice. I can be with my family. I can step back. The restaurant industry is not easy. It's incredibly stressful. Mm. It's incredibly time-consuming, and it's, you know, it's really absorbing. And so, you you know, there was, a, there was an opportunity that presented itself the year before, and then it followed up the second year.
2: Mm.
1: It didn't happen. Nothing happened the first year. It's like, ah, oh, you know, my partner came and said, oh, what if we do this? You know, you're still open to it. I'm like, sure. You know, I guess that's more the, the broker mentality, stock broker mentality. It's like, yeah. you know, like I, have, I can hold on to this forever and the stock might fall. Or I can get out now and be happy. Mm. Right? Or I could keep going and I'm still happy because I'm out and good for them because they made something better of it. Mm. Right? So there's this point where you just have to weigh with yourself and your life and where you are and go, well, it's time to go.
0: So did you sell? So how many stories exactly did you guys have when you exited? No,
1: we only had a couple. I mean, we've been through a, we've been through a couple, um, but there's, there's still two with the Waffle Brothers, and then I had another pub up in Genesee, and then, you know, I talked to those guys, mm. and I'm like,
2: well,
1: well, maybe I'm just out of restaurants for now. Got it. So I had a chat with them, and. You know, come up with another amicable solution. Nothing has to be, you know, you don't need to pound heads against each other and pound fists and hate everyone. Mm. And, you know, that doesn't always just happen like that. It's, there's something amicable and there's something really nice about having something like that and just go, okay, they get to leave.
2: Okay. okay. And I get a
1: dollar out of it. Just a dollar, yeah.
0: (laughs) Just a dollar. That's nice, and it gives you,
1: yeah, and it gets you do whatever you want, you know, for for a certain for a certain time. You're still Mm
0: -hmm. partly involved in the food business now, but do you still find yourself like? You have quite a number of businesses. You were talking about click merch. Maybe this is a fun time to talk about click merch because I want to talk to you about what you want to do, like from now. Onwards, like what you see yourself doing, is it going to be like in the food industry? Are you kind of like going to be foreign into other industries? Are you going to be doing more like mentorship nowadays and just like kicking back and relaxing? What, what,
1: yeah, what you I mean, to? I'm loving mentoring. You know, I work with SCORE. Mm-hmm. And for anyone that's listening, you can attest to it. But SCORE is just a wonderful group of people, retired business people typically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that mold's breaking a little bit. Um, it's getting a little younger. So the word retirement's coming out of score, which is the R piece of score. Mm. Um, and I think it's people that I just want to share. And so when I got out of um, what I was doing, I, you know, I wasn't necessarily with my head in the clouds, but I had a friend of mine that does this. He's still an active accountant, but he also you know takes some time. He takes on a client, what we still call clients, um, to help. And I'm like, mate, that would be, Fantastic. So I have some knowledge, right, to, to share, I think. And if I can help some people, brilliant. In the meantime, it keeps you active in a business community. Yeah. You know, they keep you active in the organization. <clears throat> um, they have their meetings, it's very official, and it's still business. Got that's it. How can we help people? And when you can put back into a society that has obviously helped you, that's even better. And it's not philanthropy, but it's just putting back um, and incredibly enjoyable. You know, it's just wonderful stuff. And so, on the food side, is what I understood and what I understand. Mm-hmm. What I see on the food in the food industry typically is everyone hates dollars and cents. And so, that's typical for
0: every industry. No one wants yeah, to do the accounting.
1: It is, but in the food side, no one wants to do the food costs. No one wants True, to lay down a law on portion sizes, typically, right? No one wants to, you know, okay, that. Free drink that you just gave away was either a seven-dollar retail sale mm. or it just cost us a dollar in pour, mm. right? So what are you doing? Oh, and I and I see and I come across all the time restaurants that just give stuff away. It's such a friendly industry, mm. you know. The oil industry is hospitality. Oil, oil, oil <laughs> yeah, it's hospitality, right? And so there's this misconception that you have to be hospitable, which means you have to give everything away for free to gain a client. It's wrong, in my mind. Mm. And so I wanted to get out there and just help people and go, look, you don't have to lose a dollar to be awesome. You can be awesome, make money, use that money, put it back into the community, employ Mm. people, right? And there's this... And so that's kind of where I stood with it. I'm like, you know, if tell, I can...
0: Tell that to the tech community. Like, they, it, it's, if you're making profit in the tech community, it's almost like a taboo. Like, it's losses, 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 then go public. <laughs> that kind of
1: thing. And, you know, that's how they run. So, you know, and that's how a lot of us ran. And that's how we do run. We make nothing. Yeah. Right? And then you get to a point where you can't. But you can do it. You can't have a wife in this, in this industry. Yeah. It's getting, you know, there's other stuff that's out there with wages going up and that's sort of pushing the envelope on people's perception in the restaurants. There's a lot of people that are going to fall over. I think in the next year or so when these wages start to hit, there's a lot of industries that are just going to go out, and that's just going to be a fact. Um, But, you know, I think at the same time, Denver needs to come to grips with the fact that their food prices, their restaurant prices are going to go up Mm -hmm. and get used to it. They've been used They've been lucky to have low food prices in restaurants, $2 buds, that sort of
0: stuff. I think that was substituted for rent, yeah, right? And that's that's changing. crazy. Yes, yeah, it's, it's all <laughs> so, changing.
1: And so you know, I, think, I, I think you can. I think you can still have a great life out of restaurants. You can still make a dollar, but you just need to be really smart. Mm. Really smart from the get go. From the get go. From the get go. Got it. And that's what I'm out there helping people.
0: I mean, and that's fascinating. Like, you talk, this is not something that is super popular back in Nigeria, where I'm from. Like, in most Nigerian universities, most professors are career academics. So they know all the theory, but they've never been practice. They've never practiced whatever they preach in a specific industry that they're interested in, which is kind of like the flip side here. America is kind of like, what can you do? So you see most professors, if you're a professor of finance, you've lived in Wall Street, you've done it, you've done all that. And a lot of people pay for it, like when they retire, when when they do whatever, they look for a way, if it's not philanthropy or mentorship or actually investing in younger companies, that come they look for a way to pay for But where I'm from, we have brilliant people who like have done this before. But sometimes it's difficult to get these people to transfer the knowledge of what they know to the next generation, which is something I've also, I've been thinking about how to kind of like rectify back in my home country. But is that the same thing in Australia? Do you have people, professionals who just like grow up, do wonders and just die without passing on that knowledge to the next generation? Or it's kind of like the US where you have uh, opportunities to kind of like pay it forward?
1: You know, the greatest thing about all countries is that you get to choose. If I don't want to hand this on, I don't have no, to. No, but right? there, there has to be
0: some kind of mechanism. So you talked about SCORE, right, which is kind of like an organization that compels, like, or let me say gives the opportunity to retired entrepreneurs to pass it forward. There are universities who hire people with industry experience. You know, they place a lot of emphasis on internship and actually getting field experience and not just research, research academics, you know, so things like that. But things like that aren't like as prevalent where I'm from. It's either you're in the research side or you're in sure. the industry side. Okay. Those two don't necessarily...
1: They don't necessarily meld. Meld, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's interesting. I you know, I I didn't think this was available to me mm. until you sought for it. I, I met my friend, who's he's like, oh, I'm going to this. I do this volunteer mm. thing, right? I didn't know about score during the entire time that I was doing Waffle Brothers in the pub, right? That would have been a good like resource. Zero, <laughs> would have been a good resource, right? I <laughs> got it. I had zero clue. Got it. Zero clue until I stepped out. Mm-hmm. And it's not something, you know, I don't sit in conversations and bring up score. I just I just don't, right? And not a lot of people do. It's something you do on the side. Mm-hmm. So it's not this worldly knowledge. Um, yeah, it would have been brilliant for us. I, I sit down. I've sat down with, you know, the new business that I'm working with. And I've sat down with, with one guy. It's got the most incredible financial spreadsheet that you can take to the bank free so i spent six seven hours with him putting my financial statement together on projections five-year projections on my business together Mm. with this fella tom moore wonderful wonderful guy no clue right so it's not that it's you know where there's a will there's a way there's a will there's a way type of stuff you mm. know, people find you
0: There is something um, out there if you look for it
1: there is you know mm. and if i hadn't had this meeting um brought in this meeting you know from you guys that you've done a brilliant job you know came in had a had a conversation and then was out at the mango house today having a chat with a fellow mm. um wonderful guy and we're you know we're here to help had i not had that Yeah, no one enough type of stuff. So it's Mm. I I can't quite explain it. I know I kind of know what you're asking, but I think there's enough people putting themselves out there in every single country. Mm. There's people there already doing it. It's a matter of finding them, and again, putting yourself in a situation, or you know, you guys um, requested for us to come over, Mm -hmm. and so that's why we're here. You know, because you're reaching out, going, you know, how can we help our business people? Yeah. Develop, right? Wow. So, I don't know. I'm sure maybe there is in in your country that there's, there's people yeah, that there, I mean to find them. And... Yeah,
0: now it's starting to, I mean, more professionally, you know, organizations like the so Tony Lumelu Foundation, the Faith Foundation, we have, you know, things like that are starting to pop up. But those are like new generation entrepreneurs that started in the 80s who know. Uh, the usefulness of things, as and
1: maybe that's what's beautiful, starting
0: yeah. to create that structure, yeah. kind
1: of thing. And maybe what you have is this beautiful wanting to share. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. The wealth is equal mm-hmm. when we're all doing things great, right? We can build this, you know, wonderful foundation. We can build a business platform for everyone to succeed. Not everyone's going to, you know, the market's the market. You know, someone's going to do something better than you, but the willingness. To share this information and not care is kind of special, Mm -hmm. you know. But you have to put yourself out into that realm. You have have to open yourself up to wanting to hear. To hear. And it's very difficult sometimes. You know, I come come across some people and it's very difficult to hear that there are, you know, kind of certain things that you really do need to follow Mm. regardless. Got it. Be smart here. Mess around over here, but understand this piece of what you need to get done. You know, and that's that's up to the individual, and they they'll either make it or they won't, you know. Got it. Got but, it. Yeah, the universe is becoming a little bit more open. Yeah. I think I is think where so. you're going with it, and I think there's a real nice want for a lot of people to share, and it's free. It's yeah. Like, especially in this age. <laughs> yeah. What's the code that's free? That was free in the beginning. You should know this.
0: What's the code that? Was... Yeah.
1: What's the code that everyone uses? I so, know. Okay. I can't, mate. I'll think about it later.
0: <laughs> Come on. You,
1: know, you put it out of the universe, they all use it, and they build things on it, that sort of stuff. Mm, okay.
0: Yeah. How often do you go back to Sydney? I went there last year. Mm. So I went back a couple of times last year. Oh, a couple of times? Yeah. Do you, you make an effort to go every year or like every no, other before year? Before then, I hadn't
1: I'd been back once in seven years. Mm. So.
0: Yeah, which isn't too bad, I guess, because some people like they leave their home country and like, like twenty years later or something. Yeah,
1: you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of rough. You know, yeah. time, time goes, and you can't buy, you can't buy time. And so when you go back seven years later and this time's past and you don't have that interaction between your family, nieces, nephews, mm. sisters, mom and dad, it's it's pretty, it's pretty hard. I don't want to do that again. Got it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense.
0: And you speak from the perspective, like like someone like me being a little younger, I'm just thinking about like my career or my job or whatever, like I don't think about stuff like that, but um, you just saying that right now, being someone who, who has, like, sold a business, who now mentors others, it's like you're now – you are now realize the value in relationships like that, like family and things like that. And, uh,
1: yeah, and you, and you may not away. even have relationships with your family, maybe mm. with other people, but you can't buy time. Mm. You put a dollar on the second that we have here, you mm. can't because this moment's going to be over. And seven years went by very quickly. And then two years since then, since I've been back, has gone even faster. Mm. And so, you know, you, everyone will say it. You just get to a point where, like, this, it's all time. God. I don't care if you've got a billion dollars. You know, right. the day that you could have spent another moment with your young daughter or son is priceless. Mm. It's not a billion bucks. It's priceless. Mm. So time is in- incredible, and I think what you're also getting these days is people are starting to realize that a little bit more. And so you have these efforts to have more time off, you know, because number one, it's a mental health. is that's a mental thing, you know. You, yeah. need, you need a breather. Yeah. You just do, and so there's this value of time and value of people's worth. With time, is so much more productive than what it used to be. Yeah. So I agree. Well, thank you so much
0: for coming on the podcast. Uh, I have something called End Game, uh, which is just a game we play at the end of the podcast. I ask you a few questions just to deliberately pass on some information about like where you're from or some culture or the other, so people listening can get that information firsthand. But before we do that, I want to give you – I always give my guests a couple of minutes to – Drink? Say whatever. Oh, we can oh. do that too. <laughs> we can do that too. But yeah, I give my guests a couple of minutes to if there's, uh, you know, an interesting book they're reading, if there's a message they want to put out, if there's advice they want to give, if they want to market any of their products or companies, whatever it is, uh, I guess you have a couple of minutes to just uh, say whatever.
1: Yeah, no worries. Um, Stay tuned for Click Merch. It's my little new prospect that I'm, I'm working on. Hopefully we go live next week, but uh, probably, and you know, a lot of you, you folks that are listening to this sort of stuff are probably familiar, but the best book Audible, that I listened to recently was Gary Vaynerchuk mm. and it was crushing it. Mm. And before I think we spoke about this before, yeah, crush Gary it. Geez, was the first uh, yeah.
0: One. I read crush it. The first one.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Gary, you know, mm. it's just, he talks about working 15 hours a week, a day. I work pretty hard. I'm not doing the 15 hours. There's other books that say, you know, you you keep within your, you just need to read a lot of stuff. But when it comes to social media, when it comes to things that are moving forward, that was probably the most valuable book for me that Mm -hmm. I've read. Um, And what's nice about it is like, you know, you're not all him. You take what you can out of it and you apply it to yourself. Yep. You know, there's no rules, there's no regulations, it's up to you. And it was a really nice read. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of the author of another book that I just read. It's called The One Thing and it concentrates on doing one thing versus trying to scatter brain and do ten things. Wow. Yeah. The one thing. Yeah, it's called Focus. <laughs> it's Aren't bit, we all trying to do one it's, thing eventually? That's my little two points of view on the little two minutes that I had.
0: All right, all right. We'll look into that and uh yeah, just I uh, have three questions for you to play end game and we'll wrap this up. All right. uh, are you ready? Um, first one is pretty easy. The other two are a tad difficult. But the first one, because I have people listening to this from all parts of the world, um, I'm just asking you this What's the capital of Australia? Canberra. Mm-hmm. So, Canberra is the capital of Australia. I didn't know that.
1: But actually, actually. We, we say Sydney is. Pretty- <laughs>
0: I'm sure people in Melbourne will be pissed. (laughs) Where's Melbourne? Yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Sydney and Melbourne has this whole thing between them. And Canberra is a city right in the middle between Sydney and Melbourne. There's
1: there's, there's not really a thing between Melbourne and Sydney. Sydney's just better. Okay. (laughs)
0: Okay. You guys don't come at me with the comments. Go to his page. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all good. Uh, Second question. Do you know what city the – this is like a food foodie question. Do you know what city the cheeseburger originated from?
1: Oh. What city? Mm-hmm. San Diego. San Diego.
0: Close, close, close. I mean, um, so there are different answers to this in a way. Uh, I did a little bit of research, and the cheeseburger was actually trademarked By Louis Ballast for his restaurant, the Humpty Dumpty restaurant, right here on Spare Boulevard in Denver in 1935. No kidding. Yeah, Spare Boulevard. So not too far away from Glendale, where you work. Sure. In 1935. However... That was the official trademark, so it was documented. That's why a lot of people say him. A lot, some people say in 1928 in Pasadena, California, someone invented it. Other people say in 1934, someone invented it in Louisville, Kentucky. But the one in Denver is the one that's trademarked. That's documented one. So I guess we we'll go with that. All right, I'm
1: taking some knowledge with me. See, it's one <laughs> right. little nervous mate. You walk away with something beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? I know, right?
0: Last question. You know what year Denver? And this is shocking that like Denver actually had the opportunity to host an Olympics. You know,
1: I've been here for a while. <laughs> oh, I'm you, you not, probably, but, I, but I'm not American.
0: I know. Okay? I, so I asked come... you one one question about Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I asked you one question about Australia, one about food, and one about Denver. So okay. pretty much. All right, my Okay, I'll give you.
1: I'll give you some little. All right.
0: Leeway. Do you know what year Denver refused to host the Olympics? What year they were scheduled to host the Winter Olympics, but they said no. Uh,
1: I kind of do. And then it was Salt Lake, I think. Mm. So, 88? Close. 76. So. It's
0: not close. I mean, (laughs) So, yeah, the seventy-six Winter Olympics was planned to be held in Denver, but state voters voted no because the cost of the Olympics will affect the taxpayers too much and the pollution and population boom.
1: Okay, so I'm sharing my age here, mate. I was nine. I was living in another country. Yeah. yeah. We didn't care about you over here. Okay,
0: so. Still don't care in some
1: sense. (laughs) (laughs) I I was running around throwing rocks at my friends. Got
0: it, got it, got it. <laughs> I mean, thank you for coming on. I do you want to drop your social media or email or anything? If someone wants to reach out to you. Uh, someone that wants to talk business or just talk shit or grab
1: a drink, whatever. Mate, I'm always into talking ass and grabbing a drink and, mm-hmm. and sharing stuff. And I love, you know, love having chats chats with people. Um, I'm kind of busy, but you can reach out to me. I have another little business called um rd foods and so it's rd it's rod at rd which is richard david mm. foods co dot com got it and you can always that's that's a direct link to me i have a you know i've got 10 other different emails but that's probably the easiest um yeah i love i'd I love meeting new people i love chatting i love this sort of stuff and socializing um you know obviously we get busy Today, a classic example, I was running a little bit late, not on purpose.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: but, yeah, absolutely open. And you can always reach out through SCORE. I think is a wonderful way they can set us up. These are for people listening in Denver, yeah, by the so way. <laughs> you can reach out through SCORE and they can set up an appointment either with myself or other, you know, brilliant people. They'll love to chat with you about business as well. And that way it's more structured, Got it. you know, versus just a casual one-on-one. That's a good way
0: to go, too. All right, guys. Uh, you can also follow our podcast everywhere. Uh, it's Culture Class Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. It's Culture Class Pod on Twitter. Send us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. And Until next week, later. Hey, cheers.